0: Brother Bruce Taylor, would you please come and lead us in prayer this morning? Let's stand together and pray together. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do love you. We do come to you this morning and ask your blessing upon the message that we're about to partake. We would pray, Lord, that it would be used in our lives and make us pure, make us more like you. Yes. We do pray for those that are not here. Give them travel and journey mercies, bring them home safely to us. We do pray for Jeff's brother, and we do pray that you take this cancer from him and heal his body. Now, Lord, just be with us, love us, guide us, and direct us, and protect us, and all these things we do pray in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Brethren, open your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, I could this morning ask for a lapel microphone and run around up and down the aisle, jumping on this table to get your attention at what I want to tell you, but I don't want your attention to stand in the flesh. Amen. If you have the Spirit of God within you, and you have prepared, and you will spend a little bit of personal effort right now to listen, the Lord can bless you. Amen. All right. If any of those three things are missing, it's not my fault. I will do the best I can, and I've prayed for this, and I'm praying for you to take away 1% of the truth of it because I don't think your hearts can hold more than 1%. We're going to have to wait till heaven and all of eternity, and we'll still never hit 100%. That's the way it is. It's too good to be true. But it is true, and I hope that you'll glory in it with me this morning. If you have the Spirit of God, and He is not grieved or quenched, you can rejoice. If you have prepared for this service, you can rejoice with me. If you haven't, you can repent. And if you'll spend some effort to focus with me, we can have a blessing from God's Word. For the glory of His name, and for His magnificent love toward us, and for the profit of our souls. I want to read to you the first verse of John chapter 3. The Apostle John wrote there, Behold, look, brethren... Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Behold, look at it, what manner of love, what kind of love, what degree of love, what incredible love, The Father hath bestowed upon us, hath given to us, placed over us, that we should be called the sons of God. If I announced to you today that the U.S. government had given you a grant of $10 million, you would be so focused and so energized and so attentive to every word that came from my lips. If I told you that I needed 45 minutes of your time to tell you the details of this program of the government to give you $10 million, you would not miss a syllable. Every fiber of your being, every pore of your skin would be thrilled with the message that I was giving you. It wouldn't matter how boring of the details it was and the the few things you needed to do to receive your grant, you would pay attention. And $10 million is nothing. It is despicable to even compare it to what I have to tell you. But do you know what's really a shame? If I reduce that to $1,000, you would still be more attentive than you would be to hearing the message that God has adopted you as his sons. And what that does is it tells us the depravity of our hearts. That if it were not for his grace, and even when we have known of his grace, we are still cold and we are still enamored with the things he gives us rather than he himself and his love toward us. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon us this morning. Isn't that a shame? And it shouldn't be true. It shouldn't be true. 1% exceeds 10 million. What's $10 million? What will you do with 10 million? How much of it will you take with you? How much comfort will it give you in that day when I watch you go flatline? I want to tell you something that will give you comfort. You're going home. Amen. Right. I want to tell you about a father that loves you and has come and rescued you and you're going home. And death is the best thing that will ever happen to you. Because you'll be taken out of this place where you're tempted to leave him and forget him and not real, fully comprehend the glory of his love. And you will be basking in the shine of his great son of love in that eternal place above. Death is the best thing that can happen, but not with 10 million. It's only by knowing of your adoption as the sons of God. I am about to tell you the most glorious, fantastic design, plan, effort that was ever made in the history of this universe. It is so great that the Bible tells us the angels desire to look into these things. Now, which of you are going to go to sleep first? when it's something that the angels desire to look into. You say if you were a better speaker, I wouldn't fall asleep. I'm sorry for that. Take it up with the Lord. Listen, brethren, I wish I was sitting and someone else was doing the preaching so that I could listen and I could rejoice through my ears by hearing the message I have to give to you. I'd prefer it that way. I've always preferred it that way. And I'm sorry about that, but you can do it with a little bit of effort. You'll do it for the most carnal activities of this world. This, this is something the angels desire to look into because He never adopted them. They're not His sons like we are His sons. Jesus Christ is not going to put His arms around them and say, these are my brethren. They are our servants. And to those angels that are listening right now, you know I do, you know disrespect, and I know you're rejoicing. Because you love your purpose in life, and that is to serve the saints of the Most High God, yea, His children. You are the Father's servants for the blessing of His children. That angels desire to look into it. Brethren, can't we stay awake and pay attention to what the Bible can tell us about it? We're seldom called Christians in the Bible. Christians is a term that first comes up in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, and that's what the enemies. Of the saints called them, right. and only three times does the word Christian or Christians occur in the New Testament. Do you know what we're usually called? The sons of God and saints. We're sons of God. Right. He is our. Fa- How many times has God called the Father? Hmm. He's the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, but brethren, He's our Father. Amen. And I want today, today, this morning, tonight, to tell you enough that when you say that two-syllable English word, Father, that it means more to you. That you rejoice in it, that God is indeed your Father. Don't let this doctrine of adoption be the dead theological chapter in a systematic theology that men can write about, but they do not know. I want you to know it, even if you forget every reference I give you, if you know it in your heart, because you find in your heart the Holy Spirit of God agreeing with what I'm preaching through your ears and so you know that God loves you and you are his son Amen. and you can reach out and grab a hold of him and love him today as he loves you. Yes, I have the energy to run up and down the aisle and jump on this table. If I could, if I could make you understand it spiritually by my energy, I would burn myself right out in front of you. But I can't. Sometimes I wonder if maybe sermons shouldn't be read in a monotone. Then we could leave it all up to the Spirit. I am leaving it all up to the Spirit. I've got a hair lip and I'm tongue-tied. I've got the eloquence of a tree trunk when it comes to this. What does it mean to adopt? Adoption. Adopt. To take as one's own child, someone who isn't your child, to take them as your own child giving them all the rights and privileges of being your child. Simple. Some child who has no parents, you take them as your child, and you make them fully your child with all the rights and privileges of being your child and you being their parents, being their father. It isn't unusual for men, natural men, to consider adoption. They'll see a deprived child or they'll know that they're lonely. They may not have any children. They may not have enough. And so they want to adopt others in order to show privilege and blessing and kindness and affection toward a child that may not have ever had any. And so they make that choice. That's adoption. I will take a child that was not loved, that is alone, and I will make them my child, and I will love them, and I will give them a family, and I will give them blessings, and I'll give them my inheritance when I die. What a glorious thought. What a kind thought, and men have those thoughts. Adoption is a process. If you think about it, there are several stages you need to go through in order to adopt. The first thing you would do is you would think and plan, based on your situation, that you have the means to support children, based upon your intentions. Do you have the love in your heart that you would like to show toward a child that isn't your own, Naturally. Do you have those intentions? You would weigh those and your ability, and you would make the plan to adopt. You would say, I'm going to adopt a child. I have a heart that wants to do that. I have the means to provide for them. I have blessings that I can give. There are children in the, in the world that do not have these things. I want to give them to those children or to a child, and so I want to adopt. The next thing you would have to do is hire a lawyer. There needs to be a legal transfer of that child. It doesn't have the right name. It wasn't born to you. And so that child needs to be assigned to you by a legal process that makes them legally your children and binds you as their parents so that legally we establish what was not true naturally. And we do that in our courts every day as people as parents adopt children. And they're legally bound to them by a legal transfer of rights making the new parents the true parents legally, and making the child their child truly and legally so that they have the same name, they live in the same place, and they have the same rights that any child would have. You know, when the legal transfer is complete and you have the papers, you have the papers in your hand that say, this child is now yours, you get to go get that child, And you give that child its new name and you take that child to your home and give it a new home. Isn't that glorious? That happens. Men plan, men get it legally done, then they actually go and get that child and give it its new name and take it to its new home. And then as that child grows, as that child grows, you wait every year of its life for it to grow a little older so that you can tell it a little more about what you did for it, and what it has because you love it. A little bit more about the balance sheet, and the inheritance that's waiting for it when you die. A little bit more about the country home that they didn't know about. A little bit more of the blessings you've prepared for them, maybe in an education, maybe in a job that you have for them. As they get older, you reveal more and more of this to them, and they become more and more appreciative hopefully, of what you've done for them. And you point out some of the duties that you would like them to do in order for you to fit well into their family and to please you. You tell them what you would like them to do for them to honor you. And then as that child grows and becomes of age, when the father that did the adopting dies, that child receives the full inheritance of everything the father ever had and ever planned to have, becomes the child by rights of inheritance. Because when he adopted that child, he made him his heir. Because as his son, he is his heir. And so when the adopting father dies, everything becomes that child. That's how it happens. That's an adoption. That's the process of adoption. That's what you would go through to adopt a child. Now, brethren, we stand in need of adoption. We were born the sons of Adam, God made Adam and Eve, and they brought forth some children named Cain and Abel and Seth, and we have all descended from those sons of Adam and Eve. And in that condition, we are unloved and uncared for and rejected and under condemnation. God cannot stand the sight of us because we are born in sin. And we continue to sin, and we have a nature of sin, and we're guilty of Adam's sin. God cannot stand us. We are left without compassion. We are in our own blood, our own guilt, our own defilement. We're left there. We need to be adopted. Were it not for the grace of God, this whole planet would go rushing on in its sinfulness without any soul being saved, without any soul looking toward heaven, we would rush through our 70 years of life worrying about making another buck, worrying about cutting the grass so that it looks as good as the neighbor's, and then dying. How beautiful, how precious it is to think of a life without God. But it's a world without God were it not for His grace. We are in need of being adopted. I want to tell you something. If you could have influenced anything about your birth, do you know what you should have done? Stopped it. From a natural standpoint, without the grace of God, the most important thing you could have ever done for yourself is to have stopped your own birth. Because by your birth, guess what it did? It connected you to Adam and Eve. You have a relationship with the first sinner in this world, Adam. And you are bound to his sin. You are tied to his sin by a relationship, a legal representation. He is your father. And do you know what led him into sin? Satan led him into sin. And so therefore the Bible can say, Satan is your father. That's our condition by nature. And we live it out every day. We shouldn't be surprised. This is no revelation. We live like it. So often. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Brother, we need to be adopted. God created Adam and Eve, our first parents. They had children. For naturally speaking, the best thing they could have done is had none. Human generation generates souls for hell. Oh, how noble man is. Are you kidding? How noble humanity is? There's nothing noble about it whatsoever. I read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Ephesians 2, verses 2 and 3 tell us that we are children already. By our first birth we are children, and it doesn't mean children of your parents. It means children of wrath and children of disobedience. We have a nature within us that shows where we came from, Satan and Adam and Eve. We are haters of God, haters of one another, haters of righteousness, children of disobedience. We're also called children of wrath, which means that we have one thing waiting for us, wrath. We are under the wrath of God and the condemnation of God to that wrath. We need to be adopted. So much so is this the case that Jesus once told a generation of Jews, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. Ye are of your father, the devil. Those are the sweet words of the Lord Jesus Christ to his people, to his cousins and the Jewish nation that rejected him. Ye are of your father, the devil. That is where we stand. There is nothing in God that requires him nor moves him to love Men in sin. Nothing. Anyone who starts to feel sorry for men as sinners, why don't I hear them weeping and crying for the devil and his angels? Why doesn't God feel sorry for the devil and his angels? Why isn't there compassion in God for the devil and his angels? Because God cannot love a sinner. It's impossible. How can a holy, perfectly pure, infinitely just God have compassion and love and mercy on a sinful being he can't his whole nature is repulsed by it his whole nature abhors it Amen. he must destroy that object that that enemy of his righteousness Amen. that enemy of his justice that enemy of his purity and holiness and he will destroy it he cannot love workers of iniquity there's a little saying that men have today that they've imagined. It's not found in the Bible. They've dreamed it up. God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. Listen, that's from Mother Goose. That's not from the Bible. Right. The Bible says, Psalm 5 5, thou hatest all workers of iniquity. God cannot love sin, nor can he love a sinner. He must pay for those sins, right. and he does not pay halfway. And He does not merely acquit or overlook them or clear them. He's got to have a payment for them before He can love. Because He can only love holy objects because He's a holy God. Brethren, we're in need of adoption. Amen. We are in our own blood. These, two ver- these verses tell us that right there. We're in the lust of our flesh and of our mind. And God finds us there. When He passed by us, He found us just like this. Amen. Look at Psalm 14, Psalm 14, the great God of heaven, he did visit the orphanage of this world. He did look down upon the orphanage of this world where all the descendants of Adam and Eve collectively, he was able to view them all at once, including you and including me. He did see us all and he walked into this orphanage and he looked through the glass window And he looked to see if there were any there that looked toward him as the great deliverer and wanted to leave with him. And when he looked into that orphanage and he saw all those neglected, rejected, hated children, do you know what they did to him? They spat at him and went the other way and said, we'll have nothing to do with you. Can I prove that with a Bible? Amen. Psalm 14, verse 2. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men in the great orphanage of this world to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. When God looked into that orphanage of humanity, he did not see one that was desirable. He did not see one that had any interest in him. He did not see any that were seeking for adoption by him. Do you know what they all were? They were all filthy. It sounds like a child cast out in its own blood that was not suppled, salted, washed, or swaddled. They were filthy, every single one of them. And that is you, and that is me. And if he would have left that orphanage, if he would have left that orphanage, and said, let them have it their way. Brethren, hell is the best thing we can look forward to, because that's what we deserve. Amen. If he would have left that orphanage without adopting, we would have the just deserts for what we have asked for, and that is the wages of sin, which is death. And that is eternal death, the second death in the lake of fire forever and ever. There is a burning hell for children that are so ungrateful and have turned their backs on him and rejected him and revolted against him and are filthy in their defilement and their total lack of interest in him. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The poison of asps is under their lips. And someone wants to talk about God loving them. God despises them all without exception were it not for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Filthy. He looked. He looked. Why didn't we run to the window? Why didn't Adam run from the trees? Why didn't Adam... I want to tell you something about the God of heaven. If Adam would have run from those trees and fallen at his feet and begged for mercy... There would have been a dilemma. But my wise God would have solved it. But Adam didn't do it. And God knew he wouldn't do it. Because the heart, of, the heart of man is so deceitful and the power of Satan is so powerful that he did not do that. And you know what's horrible? We are so often like Adam. We hide in the trees. Right. Instead of running to God and begging for mercy. And there God is looking through the window at those children And you and I spat at him and despised him and turned our back on him. We need to be adopted because if he leaves us in that condition and we die, we are going to meet him again. And he is going to sit as judge, not as prospective adoptive father. He will sit as judge and cast us into hell where there is an everlasting torment forever and ever. And if you don't like that message, you don't like the truth. Right. And you don't like the God who is the adoptive father. We believe in the doctrine of justification. When we talk about the word justification, some have said it means just as if you'd never sinned. When you're justified, it's just as if you'd never sinned. Well, that's just a pitiful human definition of the word because it only gets halfway to the truth. The truth is when we're justified, not only are all our sins blotted out legally, but we are given the positive righteousness of Jesus Christ to our account. So it's a whole lot better than just as if you'd never sinned. I mean, I don't want to be left in the condition just as if you'd never sinned. Then I would be like the tree out there. I don't want to be left there. Brethren, I want to tell you something. Justification is great. Are you glad that the God of heaven sent His Son Jesus Christ to die a substitutionary death on the cross of Calvary in order to pay for your sins and in order to give you His perfect righteousness. Amen. That's justification. Right. Are you thankful for that? Amen, sir. It's nothing compared to adoption. Amen. True. If He just justified you, you'd be a righteous servant of His. Amen. Right. It's better than that. Amen. We are His sons and His daughters. Get excited in the Spirit. It's better than that. It'd be one thing to walk into court. I mean, God's court. What's the color of His throne? White. How big is it? Great. What happens when He sits on it? The heaven and the earth flee away. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. And to stand there before that throne... And have him say, I pronounce thee acquitted and cleared of all your sins by the sacrifice of this substitute and his perfectly righteous life. I apply to your account, boom, you are my righteous, justified servant. That's glorious. But brethren, instead of that, he stands up from his chair and peels off his robe and he comes down from his high and lofty position, and he embraces you, and he says, you are my son, and you're going home with me. Meet your brother, your substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ. Meet another brother over here. Justification clears us of our guilt and our condemnation, but it doesn't make us God's children. Forgiveness of sins is a great relief to a guilty soul, but it doesn't make us God's children. A pardon. Aren't there men right now on death row that wish they could have a pardon? We're on death row, brethren, and He's pardoned us. But a pardon isn't all He's done for us. I don't want just a pardon. I don't want to be just saved from hell. I want to be the Son of God. And He has made us His sons and His daughters. It's so much better than anything else. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God instead of pounding that gavel down and just pronouncing you righteous, he comes down and owns you and holds you and loves you as his son. And there is nothing that can separate you from his love. There isn't that much love in justification. It's a legal transaction. Yes, it's love that motivated it. But do you know why he justified you? So they could adopt you. Right, he didn't justify you as the end. That's not the end of our salvation. That's just so that he could adopt. That was the legal transaction so that he could do it. That was the legal papers in his hand. That's why he could get up off his throne and say enter thou into the joy of thy lord, thy father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Amen. I want to tell you something. Go ahead and go ahead and let don't let this affect you. There's going to be a day soon where it will affect you and you are going to desire to be a son of God like no desire you have ever had. And if you are, you're going to rejoice in it like you have never rejoiced. And I'm not angry at you. I'm struggling with my own flesh, and I'm struggling with your flesh, and it's a whole room full of flesh, and we're trying to rejoice in the glory of what God has done for us, and our flesh is so sinful and so wicked and so foolish, it wants to choke out the love of what I'm telling you. If you could get 1%, it would change your life. 1%. Everything we can talk about salvation. Could I preach on redemption? Could I preach on the atonement? Could I preach on the propitiation for our sins? Do you know that all of it pales in consideration of the fact that He adopted us to be His sons and His daughters? And all of them are are just little necessary steps for us to get to the place where He can call us the children of God. They're just steps to get there. Even glorification. What is glorification? Glorification. It's the granting of an immortal body to you forever and ever. Is that great? But I want more than that. He has to glorify you that way and give you an immortal body so that you can spend eternity with Him as His Son. What an adoption. You don't like your body? I'll change it. You don't like the way you've been living with pain and sorrow and crying? I'll change it. You don't like the house you've been living in? I'm building you a mansion. God planned our adoption. This is something the world doesn't want to acknowledge. God planned to adopt children. God looked down before he ever created Adam and Eve. He knew exactly what Adam and Eve were going to do, and he purposed that they would do it, though he did not make them do it. Right. He absolutely purposed the fall of man. If you deny that God purposed the fall of man, you've got the most confused, surprised God that's ever been thought of. Right. He purposed that in orders to adopt some of those fallen children and magnify himself before the universe. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. And the angels desire to look into it because they can't believe it. The whole universe is groaning. Brethren, i got to get ahead of myself. The whole universe right now The whole universe, the natural creation, this earth, the trees, the water, the stones, the lions, and the sparrows are groaning in travail and in pain, waiting for an event. And do you know what that event is? The manifestation of the sons of God. The entire universe is shaking under the burden of sin. It has corrupted what God intended for the universe because of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The whole thing is shaking and quivering and groaning in travail and pain, waiting for an event, and that event is the manifestation of the sons of God. Because God is going to say to the universe, I have paid their price, they have been delivered, and they're my children, and I am going to bestow upon them all my love and favor for eternity. And finally, we will have a new heaven and a new earth that has been delivered from that sin and bondage. And every one that he did not adopt, including the devil and his angels, will have it pounded out of them for eternity with the torment of the lake of fire. And so justice will have reigned, and God will be on his throne, and holiness will be restored, but we will be his children. That will be the declaration. That is the most powerful event coming. The manifestation of the sons of God. You can read all about it in Romans chapter 8. Men get in there and get all confused. It's simple. Adam and Eve screwed things up. God's putting it back together. And do you know how when he's when he's going to do it? When he calls out your name and says, You're mine. Come here. Amen. In front of the whole universe. Oh, brethren, it gets it's better. Amen. Did you know he's going to give you a little stone? Amen. He's God. going to give you a stone. <laughs> going to give you a stone it's going to have a new name that only you know he's going to call you some new special name and it's going to be written on a stone and he's going to give it to you it's revelation 217 you've got a new name coming he's going to adopt you he is adopting you he's already been adopting you he planned your adoption before adam ever saw the first tree how do we know that How do we know that God planned adoption? Well, all the works of God are known unto Him from the foundation of the world. And adoption is a work. It's a long work. Some of you that have been involved in adoption know that it takes time. and It takes time. But all the works of God are known unto God from eternity. Acts chapter 15, verse 18. But I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This is not an obscure subject in the Bible. I could literally preach for weeks on our adoption. But I'm not going to. I just I want you to glory in it today and tonight. We are Listen, when we come to the Lord's table tonight, I want you to see in that something that your elder brother went and did for you so that you could be his brothers and the sons of God. That's what it is. That's what it is. Do you know how many times we're going to do this in heaven with him? we are going to celebrate what He did for us over and over and over and over. We are going to remember what Jesus Christ did for us in redeeming us so that we could be adopted. But I want to go back and look at the fact that God planned this from before He ever made Adam. In Ephesians chapter 1, I read this. In verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, I've just tried to tell you something What is the greatest spiritual blessing he has blessed us with in Christ? His adoption. And that's right. It's in verse 3. Now, how do we get that spiritual blessing in Christ in verse 3? According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now those are not popular verses, but I want you to take those verses and squeeze them and watch the adoption drip out of them, flow out of them. It's adoption. It's adoption. That's the greatest of the spiritual blessings. I'm thankful to be justified. I need to be justified. But that justification is just the legal work to get me adopted. I want my eternal inheritance. And I don't mean that foolishly. And I don't care if it's only one thing God Himself. God Himself. This is not preached. If you ever end up being a son of God, I'll tell you how you got there, how it started. It started before the world began, when you were chosen in Christ Jesus and predestinated to it. That means your destination was determined beforehand by the sovereign power of the Creator God. He purposed it. He planned it. He designed it. He wrote it down and said, they're mine in the book of life. My sons and my daughters, we were predestinated to it, and it's not taught enough. And we're going to teach it. We're going to believe it. It started with the purpose of God in eternity. And it's called predestination. Look at verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Well, how do you get an inheritance? I mean, you're a son of Adam. What are you going to inherit? Your sin nature? Death? This is a better inheritance. It's, It's heaven. It's God Himself. And how do we get it? In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Many men have entered orphanages and seen a child and played with that child with his wife. And they have loved the child. The child has loved them. And they've said to the child that might be old enough, we're going to do our best to adopt you. And many times they're unable to fulfill their will. Many times they cannot get it accomplished. But I want to tell you something about the God that sat down in His eternal counsel and planned our adoption of sons. He worketh all things according to the counsel of His own will, and there's none that can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? Right. He accomplishes His purpose. And he wrote our names down. He purposed to adopt us. He planned to adopt us. And he will certainly adopt us. And I want you to notice the context of the words. Who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. It's for you. It's for you. He's never going to be thwarted in his plan. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. The whole Bible sings this message. The whole Bible it is the grand story of adoption. From the very first chapter when he created a man who sinned against God to the very end where we're asking for him to come so that we can be united as a family. It's adoption. He planned it. It's going to come to pass. Everyone that ever becomes a son of God was, is there and will be so because God chose him to that glorious end. He looked into that orphanage, and though he, all of us spat at him, that one over there, even though he just spat at me, I know he hates me, and he is a defiled thing. I'm going to take him, and I'll pay a price for him. And I want to tell you the price wasn't a few dollars. Right. The price that he paid for him was the blood of his own son his only begotten son so that he could have a million sons right. that he might be the firstborn among many brethren so that someday that son that died for us you, you know my I love that verse from Hebrews chapter 2 he's going to take us all and he's going to say to his father behold I am the children which thou hast given me amen These are our adopted children, and it's going to be you, and it's going to be me. And if we can go out of here tomorrow and live like the world, we are sick and foolish, and we've forgotten that we've been purged from our old sins. And we have forgotten our youth and where we came from. For whom he did foreknow, brethren, he knew us. He wrote our names down. He knew you before he created Adam. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth who can separate us from the love of Christ. Amen. He purposed it. And when God purposes something, brethren, I read in my Bible that he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. I read in my Bible that it says, but our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. And brethren, do you know what he was pleased? He was pleased to love you by name personally before you were ever created. And you will never be separated from him. That's the plan of adoption. But brethren, a price had to be paid because he could, God cannot love sinful children. Well, let's just stay right here at Ephesians chapter 1. It says in verse 6, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. When God looked through the window and saw the children, none of us were accepted. He hated all of us. The wrath of God was upon us. Condemnation was upon us. We were lost and undone. We were without hope and without God in the world. But He chose us in Jesus Christ for Jesus Christ to die for us, paying for that sin of Adam, paying for all of our sins, so that we could be accepted in the Beloved. Now He accepts us because of the legal price that Jesus Christ paid for us. It isn't some vague thing that Jesus did in the cross. It's not vague. It's not merely theological. It is a payment. There was a God in heaven that He was crying to about it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, He begged for a different way to pay the price for our adoption. But He said, Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. He went to the cross. He willingly laid down His life. It was not taken from Him. He gave it that we might be adopted. And on that cross, when He said, It is finished. It's not some vague theological term for us to wonder about. The adoption payment price had been paid. It was paid. We were accepted in the beloved. At that moment when he said it is finished, God could then look, and he could always look by his eternal counsel, forward to the death of Christ. But through that death of Jesus Christ on the cross, he could look and say, I accept every single one of them. I love them. Even though they were my enemies, even though they were full of sin, they're now righteous because my eldest son, my only begotten son has died for them. That's the cross of Calvary. It's the adoption of sons by God to himself. And all the price paid there and all the justification, redemption, propitiation, atonement, pardon and forgiveness is all in order for us to be the sons of God. God cannot clear or acquit. I've taught you that. His holy and absolute justice demands eternal condemnation. But brethren, Jesus Christ came down and took upon us our nature so that he could redeem us to be God's children. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews the second chapter. I read in verse 8. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. That's every man that God is going to adopt. That should be so obvious to you. It is obvious to all men that have the Spirit of God and are seeking the truth. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. We, we could just keep right on reading here. Do you know what we're called by Jesus Christ? His brethren. We're his brethren. Do you know how close the family is? We're all of one. That's what it said. Both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one. We're all of one nature now as far as being holy before God. We're all the sons of God. We're all of one. For which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren. I am so glad Jesus Christ isn't ashamed of me. And it's because of his sufferings for me. He's made himself perfect, the captain of my salvation and the captain of your salvation. He's a perfect captain. That captain will come to the bar of justice of Almighty God and deliver us because our names will be found in the Lamb's book of life and will be owned as his brethren. And he will know us by name. And brethren, that day is approaching. The grandest, glory, most glorious glorious day in the history of the universe when you will be acknowledged before the universe to be the sons and daughters of God. That is not an overstatement for the benefit of this sermon. It is the fulfillment of the whole Bible. Right. It's coming. Can you imagine that day? Right. right now, the sin that you worry about in your heart yeah. that keeps you from loving the Lord the way you want to affects Pluto. But when he sits in judgment, the heavens and the earth as we know them are going to disappear. And he will judge righteously. And in that day, he's going to restore all things through what Jesus Christ did. And we are going to be owned and acknowledged to be the brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ. We just keep right on reading here. It says, saying, in verse 12, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. Notice this. Notice the affectionate terms here. Notice the closeness and the intimacy between Jesus and you. My brethren, in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children which God hath given me. Isn't that a glorious verse? That's one of my favorite little sentences in the Bible. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things that behooved him to be made, like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. And who are the people? But the people that were told to Joseph, he shall save His people from their sins, His sons and His daughters, His brethren. Amen. That whole chapter, I read it. I hope you can understand it. I don't want to stop and comment on each phrase. It's the payment that was made. He took on Him our nature. God looked through that window and saw those despicable, sinful children of Adam, and Jesus Christ became one of them without sin and died in their place that He could redeem His people to Himself. And he paid for all their sins. And he's a perfect captain. And he suffered for us so that we shall never have to suffer. It's coming, brethren. I'm going to close. I will take up again tonight. There's a day coming in which the whole universe will stop and stand still as God recognizes you before angels, devils, demons, other men, sinners, righteous, and owns you as his own. It's going to be personal. It'll be as personal as you can imagine. He knows everything you ever done. He knows your soul. He can divide between your soul and your spirit. He knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. And he's going to make it all holy and pure. He's going to forgive you all sins, past, present, and future. You're going to be absolutely spotless before him. And he's going to own you by name. And he's going to give you a new name. And he's going to invite you into his presence and say, Welcome. Wait till I get to show you what I've prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It's just going to take me a long time to show you. It's going to take all eternity. But I'm going to show you. I've loved you from before the foundation of the world. I've adopted you. You're mine. It was the time of love, brethren. And he spread his skirt over us. And he entered into a covenant that we should be his. That is the love of God. We are his sons and his daughters. May the Lord bless us to live like them.